Well, good morning, everyone. So some of you will be thinking you're late to church. Some of you are a bit bleary-eyed because you're thinking this is really early. Uh, But all of you can see one another uh, and be together as one congregation, which we're really thrilled about. Uh, So uh, welcome to everybody uh, to this service at the new time at 10 a.m. Just a few notices uh, to begin with. Uh, Tonight, uh, we're having a prayer service here at the church. Uh, I would encourage you to come to this. Uh, It'd be really good uh, to be able to pray together uh, just in the light of the coming week of Holiday Club, uh, but also we'll be praying for lots of other different things. Uh, We will be singing uh, together, which will be really good uh, as well, singing God's praise. Uh, So uh, do try and come tonight at 6 p.m. to be together uh, to pray. Uh, Then, uh, this coming week, we have the Holiday Bible Club, Uh, so do be in prayer for us as we uh, do that this this coming week from Monday to Friday. Uh, However, I've got the barbecue on the slide, but I meant to take it off because we're not actually going to do the barbecue uh, on the Friday evening. Uh, We're not able to do that, um, so uh, you can't come. Well, you can come, but there won't be any food, uh, and won't be anyone here uh, doing that, but the Holiday Club is uh, this coming week. Uh, Just a couple of other things to mention. I have a card which I'm going to put at the back, uh, which is from uh, Jill Elliott and her family, uh, just to say thank you for uh, the work that we have done for Mike's funeral uh, and the the food and things like that. Uh, They're very thankful, uh, and we continue to pray for Jill uh, and her family at this time. Sue Bradley's funeral uh, is on Tuesday the 3rd of August, Uh, There's a Thanksgiving service here at 12, uh, and then there's going to be a burial at Pelsall Cemetery at 1 p.m. So that's Tuesday, the 3rd of August, 12 p.m. here, the burial at Pelsall Cemetery. And then the only other thing I want to mention is that uh, there's no Sunday school today, uh, but there are worksheets that you can uh, uh, fill in as children or young people Uh, Paula has a whole bunch of those uh, out there at the back, um, and you can go and grab one uh, from her. I'm just going to read some words uh, from Ephesians chapter 5 as we begin our service this morning. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 to 20. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's been about 18 months since we've been really allowed to uh, say some words which I've really missed saying, uh, which are, let us stand and sing. We haven't been able to do that uh, from the front for a good uh, amount of time, uh, but I'm delighted to be able to say that today all, those, uh, all that advice is gone uh, and we can stand and we can sing and make music from our heart to the Lord together, 
We praise God as we sing, we tell each other truth as we sing, and God is always worthy of our praise. And so I encourage you uh, to sing from your heart to our God this morning. But before we do that, I want us to stand together and read uh, some words on the screen. Uh, hopefully, I'm not sure you're going to be able to read all of the words um, because of the, the decorations, but uh, all of the songs we all know really well, and uh, you can see most of the words uh, on the screen. So we're going to read these words together, and then we're going to sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Let's do that together.
Please take your seats. Well, we're going to have a Bible reading now from the prophet Joel. If you have one of the church Bibles here, it's on page 914. 914, and we're going to read from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. Verse 28 to 32. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the, hev- in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is God's word. In that passage, we read how God promises to send his Holy Spirit Uh, upon all people. Uh, It means all kinds of people, and we see their different kinds, sons and daughters, uh, old and young, uh, even on servants or slaves. Uh, All of us are able to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That's a wonderful truth of Scripture. Uh, And our next song uh, speaks about how uh, we stand and say, can it be, can it be that God would even love someone like me? And can it be? Let's stand and let's sing this wonderful song together. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
before the throne of God boldly as we do so in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, our loving Father in heaven, you alone are God and your holy name is to be magnified. And we praise you and thank you for the opportunity that we've had to sing together to your praise these glorious words of truth. We pray that they would not only have come from our lips but from our hearts as well. It is right that as we come before you, 
that we do so in reverent fear, acknowledging that you are the true God, the living God, the holy Lord God, the God of perfect justice, of everlasting and sovereign rule, who reigns over all things and in all places. And as we bow our heads and humble our hearts before your throne, we do seek your mercy, for we know that we have not been all that we ought to be. We've not loved you with all our hearts and mind and soul and strength. Neither have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. So merciful God, we're truly sorry for all the ways in which we have not honored you and your commands. Look upon us in mercy and please pardon all our sin for Jesus' sake. We praise you for your son, our savior, who has paid all the penalty our sin deserves. We praise you for the pardon and the peace that we have through faith in him. That we can say that our chains have fallen off and we've been set free. We're so thankful that not only does he reign in heaven, but he does so there to intercede for us at the throne of grace and mercy. And we praise you for the gift of God the Holy Spirit poured out for your people that we might be your witnesses in this world. We thank you that the Holy Spirit seals us as yours, dwells with us and in us, and is in our midst as we meet together today. And yet we have to confess that even in the matter of our witness, we've not borne a faithful testimony at all times. Gracious God, forgive us. Merciful God, cleanse and restore us. Mighty God, work in us by the Holy Spirit to change and transform us that we might be more like your Son. Our gracious God, as we come in prayer, we're filled with a great gratitude and thankfulness for your goodness to us over the months that have gone by that bring us to this Sunday when once again we can be together as one body and we can sing your praises and join together in worship. And we pray that as we come before your throne, that you would graciously pour out your blessing upon us, that our hearts would be richly filled with the great things of your word and of your grace. And gracious God, as we come boldly to the throne to bring our prayers for one another, the work of the gospel and for our needy world, we pray that you would hear us. And so, Father, we pray for our pastor Tim and his family as they take a break from their responsibilities. Lord, bless them and keep them, refresh them and renew them, we pray. We pray for all those others on holiday or about to go away, that you'll go with them and bless them and your gracious and good hand would be upon them. Loving Father, you know the sadness that we've shared with those who've been bereaved in recent weeks. And we pray for them, that you would graciously uphold them and bless them. Grant them your comfort, we pray. And where they have not that hope in Christ, we pray that you would turn them to the recognition of their own mortality, of their need of the Saviour. Lord, be gracious to them. Father God, we pray for the Holiday Bible Club starting tomorrow. Thank you for all the work that has been done in preparation. But we pray especially for your blessing to be upon this week that in every way your word of truth will be conveyed by word and life so that these youngsters might know that there is a God in heaven 
and that his son is our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they might come to trust in him. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray for our dear friend Ben Udegiofo as he heads off to Nigeria tomorrow. Lord, go with him, bless him, protect him and keep him and encourage him as he sees this new drilling rig put into action. Lord, mercifully encourage and strengthen our brothers serving you in that country. And gracious God, be merciful to those who have not been able to attend this morning, even though they would love to. Bless them where they are, we pray. And almighty, almighty God, reawaken a true spiritual concern in those who used to join with us, but have now chosen not to come. Loving Heavenly Father, we have come together to worship you. Pour out your spirit upon us. Grant that all our prayers are in accordance with your will. All our praises are sincere and joyful. All our hearing of your word would be with profit and all our service with glad and loving hearts. Anoint and empower our brother Steve as he ministers your word. And may you grant your name to be glorified amongst us as we worship you. Lord, in your great mercy, hear and answer our prayers as we offer them up in the name of your own dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in the reading from Joel, we saw about visions that people have, and the greatest vision that we need is a vision of God himself. And our next song speaks, Be Thou My Vision. Let's stand and sing.
Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, it would be helpful to have a Bible with you to help you follow along. So if you haven't got one, there are plenty of Bibles at the back there that you can use. But this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and really from verses 12 uh, to 21, uh, but I'm going to read uh, verse, from verse 1 of chapter 2 to verse 21, just to put it in its context. Acts chapter 2 from verse 1, uh, let's listen carefully as Peter will ask us to do as we hear the reading of the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my...
defining moments in history. And really, you could boil them down to a few. You have the creation of the world, which obviously is a very significant day in the history of the world. You have the fall into sin. You have the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you would also have the day of Pentecost as a day that is one of the most significant and important days in the history of the whole of the world. The Holy Spirit coming is a new day in history. It's a new day that is dawned. And Peter points this out in his sermon. The context before uh, what we're going to look at this morning is uh, the beginning of Acts chapter 2. We looked at this at a Sunday evening service a few weeks ago. But just as a summary, Jesus has ascended into heaven and he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. And there's about 120 Uh, disciples waiting in a room for the Holy Spirit to come and the Holy Spirit does come in power and those believers begin to speak in other languages, speaking in tongues and they proclaim, we read, the wonders of God so that all the different people from different places in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost could understand the wonders of God in their own language. And in verse 8, notice how their people were perplexed. And we end in, ended in verse 11 with the people hearing the wonders of God in their own tongues, but not having a clue as to why it was happening. Why is it that we're hearing these things? What on earth is going on? And it would have been very strange to have these unlearned Galilean uh, believers speaking in languages they would never have spoken in before. And so the people are wondering what is happening. And so Peter goes on to explain Pentecost. And that's what I've titled the sermon this morning, Pentecost Explained. And he goes on to say that this is a new day in history. The world is never going to be the same again. And so therefore, we live in a new era now, the era of the Spirit. And what I want you to see today is why this day, the day in which we live in, is so important And I want you to see what it means for us as we live in the 21st century. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit has come? What is this day all about? And Peter is going to give us three truths about this new day. It's a day of forceful proclamation. It's a day of fulfilled promises. And it's a day of forewarning people. So first of all, this is a day of forceful proclamation. In verse 12, we read that something amazing is happening because the people are amazed and perplexed. They look at the Christians and they are amazed and perplexed. Now, do people look at you like that? I wonder. Now, I'm not saying that we we should be complete weirdos, when I say that our life should generate something of this reaction. But our life should be, as Christians, lived to such a degree that people do look at us and wonder, what does their life mean? What is going on with them? Does that happen to you? Because in verse 12, the people look at the Christians and they're amazed and perplexed and they ask a genuine question. What does this mean? 
The message the believers were giving in those tongues demanded an explanation. And so should our lives. The way that we talk, what we talk about, the way that we live should generate a degree of what does this mean? And Peter is going to explain the Christian faith. And maybe some of you uh, here this morning are asking the same kind of a question. What, what does it mean? What, what, why are these people so happy to be able to sing this morning? Why are these people uh, so committed to, to turning up each week and to, to doing a holiday club or whatever it is? What, why? What does it mean? Well, if you come over the next few weeks, we're going to see in Peter's sermon him explain the Christian faith. And as he explains it, we'll see that it's the best news ever. And it means everything, which is why we give everything to following Christ. But in verse 13, there's a different response to the inquiring. There's mockery. That's also a common response to being a Christian, if you ever experienced that. Uh, we, we should, from time to time, experience mockery if we're following Jesus. Because in verse 13, uh, I, I, I don't think necessarily it's right to get this response, but what they're doing is mocking them. They say, are they drunk? Have they had too much wine? Now, we might not get accused of being drunk as we're living for Jesus, but we might get accused of being old-fashioned. We might get mocked for being a bigot or a homophobe or unintelligent and stupid. Those kind of reactions we get as Christians. If we're living a spirit-filled Christian life, we are going to get both inquiries as to why are you like this, and we're going to get mockers saying, how stupid are you? But in response to the inquirers and the mockers, Peter in verse 14 begins to show us that this is a day of forceful proclamation. First of all, in verse 14, notice who stands up to proclaim. This is Peter. Now, in the, uh, the, uh, before we were doing the book of, uh, this chapter in Acts, we were looking at the book of Matthew. And the last time we see Peter in Matthew, he is cowering before a little girl who's asking him if he knows Jesus. And then he cowers before a crowd and runs away because he's terrified of what people will do to him if he acknowledges that he knows this man, Jesus, who has been arrested. Peter is a complete coward at this point. And yet here, before thousands, Peter stands up and he's going to proclaim Christ. And some of these people in this crowd are not going to like this message. Some of them are going, as we read the book of Acts, to want to hurt him. And yet Peter here stands up before the crowd and we read is about to lift his voice and proclaim Christ. What a change. What a change in this man who was a coward running away from a little girl to standing up before thousands and speaking of Jesus of Nazareth. That should encourage us in two ways. One, it should encourage us that God uses those that have failed and messed up to do his work. I've failed, I've messed up many times, but God still delights to use me to do his work. Isn't that wonderful? That can be your testimony too. God doesn't want those who are perfect. They don't exist, by the way, but he does use failures to do amazing things as we 
boldly follow Christ. But Peter could only do this, and here's the second encouragement with him, because he had been filled with the Spirit. He is enabled to proclaim because the Spirit has been, is in him, giving him that boldness and that ability. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you have the Holy Spirit. God lives in us to enable us to proclaim his word and do his will. Well, verse 14 gives us some information about what preaching is, what this proclamation is all about. I'm going to give you four things that verse 14 tells us about preaching. Hopefully you can see them. Uh, First of all, preaching is engaged with others. It's engaged with others. So notice how the 11 stood with him. He wasn't on his own. He stood up with a band of brothers who were with him as he preached. And as we serve our king, proclaiming Christ, we are not solo Christians. We stand together. And we do that as a church, don't we? That's what we're we're doing this coming week. Uh, As we do a holiday club, we're working together. This isn't Steve's club. This is the proclamation from this church to our community that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's risen from the dead. He's died for your sins and all of the wonderful gospel. And we we do it engaged together with one another. And let me ask you as a Christian, who are you standing with? Because you can't live your Christian life on your own. You need brothers and sisters with you to stand with you, to help you as you walk with Jesus Christ. So proclamation and preaching, it's engaged with others. Secondly, uh, it's ear-splitting. Notice what Peter did. He didn't just... um, you know, timidly in hushed tones whisper, he raised his voice. That's what he does. Proclamation is not a whisper. Talking about Jesus is not something that we ought to be just quietly and timidly saying. We boldly, we forcefully acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Forceful proclamation. It's ear-splitting. Thirdly, It's for everyone. For everyone. Notice uh, Peter said, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. So the place where he was, he was wanting to speak to his fellow Jews and to everyone else that was there. Now that was mostly Jews. We'll see how uh, through the book of Acts, how that gospel proclamation goes to everyone else who are not Jews. But the Jews were, uh, were, were, were the Jewish people there and those that Uh, live in Jerusalem were those that were were not just visiting but were there all the time but basically he was telling everybody that was there it's for everyone we don't have a sign on the door of our church that say you can only come in here if you're a Christian and you can only hear about Jesus if you are a Christian I mean there wouldn't be many Christians if we did do that would there because we wouldn't hear of him but proclamation is for everyone and then fourthly the fourth lesson about preaching here is that it's explanation of something. Explanation. Peter says, let me explain this to you. Notice that. Let me explain this to you. And then he goes on to open up scripture. He opens up the book of Joel and he explains it. Preaching gives the meaning of God's word. Now, we want to be careful here. It's not merely explanation. Um, Just as a, a comparison... I hope this isn't offensive, but you know when you're watching on TV the the, the presentations from Downing Street with all the graphs and things like that? 
<laughs> some of you might find that riveting. They're explaining something, but it's not the same kind of explanation that's going on here. I'm not pointing you to a graph. I'm pointing you to a saviour. And it makes all the difference in the world because the proclamation is pointing to a saviour by a person filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just explanation about the inner workings of a microphone or something like that. This is explanation filled by the Spirit of Jesus Christ and of the Word of God. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones described preaching as logic on fire. Logic on fire. And that's the kind of thing that's going on here. It's, it's, it's explanation that is penetrating the heart to elicit a response to the wonderful message of God's word. So, when the Bible is opened, when this proclamation is going on, which we do here week by week by week, what should our response be? It should be what Peter tells his fellow Jews and all that live in Jerusalem to do. Listen carefully to what I say. Notice that in verse 14. Listen carefully. Not just because, hey, look, I'm Peter. That's not the reason. We listen carefully because Peter is going to open God's word. And filled by the Holy Spirit, explain God's word. And as that word is handled, we need to listen carefully. This new era is a day of proclamation. We ought to have words and lives that demand an explanation. We need to boldly proclaim Christ ourselves. And we do that, by the way, in lots of different ways. If you've got children, explain Christ to them. If you've got work colleagues, tell them of Jesus. If you've got neighbors, have a life that they look at and say, I wonder why they're like that. And listen carefully. Listen. When the Bible's opened, listen. This is God's word that's being proclaimed. And so, if you're falling asleep right now, listen. <laughs> We're opening God's word. Let's carry on. Number two, it's a day of fulfilled promises. In verse 15, Peter starts his sermon in a really interesting way. I want you to imagine if I start like this. These people aren't drunk. <laughs> imagine that. That's the start of his sermon. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. The accusation of drunkenness was a bit silly. Um, I've seen drunk people lots of times. They might slur their speech, but they don't start speaking coherently in another language. But drunkenness, although a foolish assumption... Uh, Peter doesn't give the reason why it's foolish as, look, they're not slurring. Uh, he gives the time of day. And the reason for that is, is he says it's not nine o'clock in the morning. And that wasn't because people don't get drunk at that time of day. It was because the Jewish people in their culture would not drink before that time because they wouldn't drink before the morning sacrifice. And so as Jews, it would be extremely uh, bad form and very odd for them to be drunk at that time of the day. But it is interesting, as New Testament Christians, to, to note something here of the link between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. Because Paul makes a kind of a, a link in Ephesians 5 and verse 18. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So that's not the way we should be. 
but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, he's not saying being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk, but what he is saying is that being filled with the Spirit is being under the influence, not of alcohol, but of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what the people were seeing. It was so strange that these people were behaving in this way that in their minds, they wouldn't have thought, therefore, they're filled with God. They jumped to the assumption of, well, the only thing I can think of is they're drunk. But Peter's going to say, no, it's not drink. This is a day of fulfilled promises. Particularly the promise of Joel chapter 2. And that's where Peter quotes from. We had that reading earlier, Joel chapter 2. And the prophet Joel in the Old Testament was a prophet who was calling God's people back to true repentance after, as a nation, they had sinned and were judged by God with a plague of locusts. And this plague, God said, was a forerunner of a greater judgment that was going to come if they did not repent of their sin. And that greater judgment was called the day of the Lord. But the Lord promised that before this day of judgment comes, before the day of the Lord, he would restore the land to prosperity. And then comes this promise of he would pour out his Holy Spirit before that day of judgment comes. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit who is fully God, And Peter said that Pentecost, what was going on was the fulfillment of that great promise that God, before the end, would pour his spirit on his people. And that's what he says in in verse 16. He says, this isn't drink. This is what Joel talked about. And then in verses 17 and 18, he quotes from Joel. And he begins, Joel does here, with the last days. Notice in verse 17, in the last days days. When you read in the Bible their last days, and it comes up quite a a bit through scripture, the Bible is talking about the time period from the, the ascension of Jesus Christ till the return of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are now in the last days. So before the day of judgment comes, God in his mercy is allowing people to repent. And before that day comes of judgment, He's going to pour out his spirit. And when we read there, pour out, uh, we we should be thinking of things like uh, a fountain of water or or, or a bucket of water being poured out that goes everywhere. It's an abundance. It's not just I'm going to trickle a bit of my spirit on you. This is poured out, an abundance. And it's on all people. God is going to come and dwell, we read, with all people. The meaning here is all kinds of people. Not every person who lives from the ascension of Jesus to the return of Jesus, but, every, but all kinds of people will have the Holy Spirit poured out on them. And we see what kinds of people here. Sons and daughters means men and women. So there's no discrimination on, on gender. The Holy Spirit is poured out equally on men and women. doesn't matter... If you, you don't get more if you're a man or less if you're a woman or anything like that. It's, it's poured out on men and women. Then it's poured out on the young men and the old men. 
doesn't mean if you're middle-aged, you don't get very much. It means whatever age you are, from the young to the old, the Holy Spirit is poured out. There's no discrimination on age. Christianity is not an old person's religion, neither is it a religion for, for children. The Lord Jesus Christ has died for the sins of all of those who will call on his name. It doesn't matter how old you are. And then we read about male and female servants. Now, at first reading, it might look like that means men and women again, but the word for servant there is slave. And male slaves had a higher um, ranking in society than female slaves. And so it's talking about our status. In other words, it doesn't matter what class you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from or your background. It doesn't matter even if you're a female slave. The Holy Spirit can be poured out upon you. So whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, the Holy Spirit can be poured out in abundance upon you. Well, what will the Holy Spirit enable us to do? Why, why, what, what, what's the promise here? Well, the promise is that when the Spirit's poured out, we can understand the will of God for us and share it with others. I think that's the meaning behind prophecies, dreams, and visions. In the Old Testament, the people of God received revelation through prophecies and dreams and visions, and then they would share those prophecies, dreams, and visions with others. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of enlightenment. The Holy Spirit shows us what God's will is. Now, he can, and sometimes does, use prophecies, dreams, and visions today, but also he's given us his word, which is the main source of the revelation of God, and so we can understand God's revelation when his spirit is in us. And again, a young child, by the power of the spirit, can understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So can somebody in their final days, even, I believe, someone with dementia, can understand the gospel and be called by God by the power of the Holy Spirit and have understanding. So it gives enlightenment, and the Holy Spirit gives enablement. We are enabled to share that word with others. Because it says at the end of verse 18, they will prophesy. So we receive the revelation, enlightenment, and we give out that revelation, enablement, by the power of the Spirit. You know, prophecy, by the way, is not just foretelling the future. Prophecy in the Bible also is foretelling the truth about God. Not just about what God will do or what's going to happen, but about who God is, what he has done, and so on and so forth. And we are today in a day of fulfilled promises. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the promise of a Messiah to save us from our sins. He came to die for our sins and has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven according to the scriptures. And Peter here says the Holy Spirit coming is another fulfilled promise of the Old Testament that has come to pass. And so brothers and sisters, we know in these last days there is a promise still to come, is there not? That Jesus will return. How can we possibly doubt that that will happen when we have seen all that God has done in fulfilling all of his promises from the past? 
We live in a day of fulfilled promises. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ ascended. Holy Spirit has come. Surely Christ will come again. If you're a Christian, you have God in you to enable you and enlighten you to his will. So make sure that we are people who are proclaiming his word. Let's make sure that we are living lives as Christians, doing as God calls us to do, according to the power of the Spirit, as he has promised us here. If you remember, um, when I spoke on the beginning of Acts chapter 2, I spoke of an illustration of being filled with the Spirit, and that is being filled with the Spirit is not a battery that needs recharging all the time. Rather, being filled with the Spirit is a power line that you can't see in the picture, but it is, it is behind up there. <laughs> it's a power line that is a constant stream of power that is coming into our homes or our lives. Difference being, of course, the Holy Spirit does not have a power cut like our homes may, but the power is always there. In your home, you've got that power streaming in for the appliances that you want to use. The Holy Spirit within us is there all the time, giving us the power to enable us to live the will of God. And so for all of us, if you're a Christian, you have no excuse for not living for Jesus and proclaiming his name to those around us. Uh, I found uh, this quote from Al Mola helpful in this regard. It's quite a long one, but you can't see all of it, but but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Uh, It says, Pentecost demonstrates that God keeps his promises. He had promised to send his spirit, and Pentecost was the moment in salvation history when he did just that. For today's readers, Pentecost means that every believer has access to the promised spirit of God and has been gifted by that same spirit who arrived at Pentecost to carry on the mission of the church, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The coming of the spirit means we have all we need to boldly herald the gospel and no excuse for not doing so. And brothers and sisters, let me just encourage you. That's a challenge, but here's an encouragement. If God has fulfilled those promises, he will fulfill them in the future. There is a day coming when there will be a new heavens and earth with new bodies and all of those wonderful things that when we struggle in this life, We can look forward with anticipation to the next and know that it is true because Christ has risen, the Spirit has come, all of those promises have been fulfilled and they will be so again. So it's a day of forceful proclamation, a day of fulfilled promises, but finally, it's a day of forewarning people. In verse 19 notice the, and 20, notice the change from the phrase, the last days, to the great and glorious day of the Lord. So there's a difference there between the last days, which we're in now, and the great and glorious day, singular, of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord is spoken of often in the Bible as a day of God's judgment. There are lots of small days. Uh, days of the Lord on specific nations in the Old Testament, but they culminate in one final great and glorious day of the Lord. 
Uh, just some examples uh, from, the, uh, from the Bible. Uh, Malachi says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So in Acts chapter 2, when Peter uses the phrase, the great and glorious day of the Lord, he is speaking of this final day of judgment, and he uses apocalyptic language, which is language that uses pictures that have meanings. And the meaning here of the, moon, the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood is apocalyptic language that speaks of judgment coming. Uh, an example of this was when we were in Matthew's Gospel. We looked at the cross of Christ where what, what happened to the, to, 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 the, to the sky? It went dark over the whole land for three hours. What was going on there? Jesus was being judged The creation was commentating on the judgment of God coming upon Christ. And so this language is basically Joel saying, judgment day is coming. The day of the Lord's coming. And Peter is saying, we are in the last days, but there is a last day on its way. The day of the Lord. And Peter forewarns us. But the forewarning would be pretty rubbish, wouldn't it? If that was all he said. If our message was, you know what, guys? We're going to be judged. You know what? We're all sinners. We deserve God's judgment, but that's it. That would be, a, 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 that would be bad news. But look at verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's the good news. You see, we deserve God's judgment because of our sin. There is so much wrong with the world. We have our part in that because of the things we do wrong. We're all sinners. We all are going to stand before God on that great and glorious day and we are going to face his judgment unless, verse 21, we call on the name of the Lord. First of all, notice that everyone who calls. So there's no discrimination here. It doesn't matter how bad a sinner you think you are, you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter where you're from, all of those things we said earlier about the the non-discrimination of the Holy Spirit coming is true of those who are saved, because unless you are saved, you won't receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord everyone will be saved. But what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Well, to call on someone is to appeal for help. So if you're uh, in trouble and you need help, you, you would call on someone for help. But here, we call on the name of the Lord. Why the Lord? Because he's the only one that can help. You know, if you're really sick and you need help with your sickness, you don't phone the bakery. You phone the doctor, don't you? If you need bread, you don't phone the doctor. But if you need salvation, you can't call anybody, but you, but you call on the name of the Lord. 
And it says here the name of the Lord, because in the Bible, when we speak of someone's name, we're speaking of who they are. We're speaking of their character. And with the Lord, we have here one who is compassionate and who who loves so much so that he sends his son to die on the cross in the place of our sins. And we're calling on one who is mighty and powerful and able to save us from our sins and raise us from being dead in our sins to a new life in Christ. No one else can do that, only the Lord. And so we call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And plus, you know, we're facing judgment from the Lord. We deserve it because of what we've done to the Lord. And so it's only him who can rightfully save us from our sins And praise God he does as we call on his name because of his great love for us. If you are here and you have not called on the name of the Lord, I appeal to you. There is a day coming where you will stand before God. That day is surely coming. Jesus in history rose from the dead. It's indisputable. That happened. This day of Pentecost is not a myth. It happened, just as God said it would. Don't think for one minute that Jesus is not coming back and you will not face the Lord as your judge, just as he promised. It will surely happen. Call on the name of the Lord. I plead with you, call on his name and you will be saved. And the rest of Peter's sermon, which we're going to look at next week, will show how this Lord has a name. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And we'll see his perfect life. Peter's going to show us that. And he's going to show us his atoning death. He's going to show us that Jesus is risen from the dead. And he's going to show us that Jesus is reigning on high so that we know he's going to come again. And so when we call on the name of the Lord, we call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our King. Now, I don't know if there's going to be books in heaven. I don't particularly care whether there's books in heaven. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. But if there is a volume of world history in heaven, Pentecost will be right at the top of the moments in history that changed the world. It is an era-defining, history-changing day that, praise God, we live in today. So let's thank God that it is a day of forceful preaching because I don't know all of your testimonies, but part of mine is somebody proclaimed Christ to me forcefully and told me I need to be saved. And so I was. And so I thank God this is a day of forceful preaching. I thank God that this is a day of fulfilled promises because I know that I have God living in me, enlightening me and enabling me to do his will. But also I know that if today is a day of fulfilled promises, the promises of tomorrow will be fulfilled too. Praise God. And I thank God that it's a day where there is still time to forewarn people of the great and glorious day of the Lord because that day is coming. And it could be any moment But praise God that he is patient with us and has enabled us to still have time to warn people of that day to come. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we live in a day of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that all of us can have you come and live in us. Not because that we are anything special, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross and in rising from the dead. Thank you, Lord, that someone has told us about Christ and proclaimed him. May we do that to others. Thank you, Lord, that that you fulfill all of your promises and all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you enable us to warn people of your judgment. May we do that and I pray I pray for this coming week. Save many children and their families, we pray. And if anyone here this morning has not called on the name of the Lord, may your Holy Spirit, Father, convict them of their sin, that they would do that even today. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your kingdom would come for the glory of your name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to sing uh, wonderfully again together in response to hearing the word of God. Uh, We're going to sing together, Let Your Kingdom Come. This song is a a prayer uh, that God would uh, fulfill those promises all the more. The Holy Spirit would come and do a work in us. Let your kingdom come again. Let's stand. Let's sing from our hearts and make music together as we praise our God.
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. <laughs>